and then here I am. <laughs> well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. Appreciate you, you being here. I know we have several, several people out uh, this week, and I guess it's you know kind of nice weather here. Got to get the last chance of camping and running around. Uh, but good to see everybody here. Hey, I just wanted to um, point this out. This is called our, um, someone called it a tote. Uh, I thought totes were like leather. But anyways, um, so we do a thing every fall called bumper crop. The reason why we call it a bumper crop is um, down in Fremont anyways, they go fill these up and when they bring them back next week, like you all will have the opportunity to do, they actually put it by their bumper and then the youth go and run around and, and grab them and bring them into the church. We probably won't do that. Um, not because our youth couldn't do it. We just figured, you know, we can. it's not a, too far of a walk for you. So feel free to uh, bring it in yourself. But we just encourage you to take these home. You'll get one as you head out today. Uh, please uh, put in the bag the things that are on this list uh, because these need to be able to be stored for a while. Um, and if you, like, put, I don't know, is spam on there? No, it's not. But if it shows up, I'm taking it home. But that's besides the point. Um, I, I'm sorry. I probably should. I had some spam. I haven't had spam in years. Oh, I mean, it's like from heaven, right? Am I right? Okay. Anyways, so take one of these home, fill it up, bring it back, and then uh, we put the food from these into our um, our pantry, our food pantry. And let me just say a quick word about our food pantry. Because we're a little different than maybe some other churches in the area. There are a lot of churches that will, you know, kind of open up their building and say, hey, come on in on a certain day. Um, but when you study out the, the first century church and how the first century church met people's needs, there, was always, there always seemed to be a connection between the people from the church and the people who were receiving the, the help. And so what we do is we've got a big clothes basket. It holds probably about a week of food for a uh, family of four. And what we'd encourage you to do is as you see people in your life who are struggling, um, and even if they're struggling to pay bills, at least what you can do is give them some food and then the money they would use for the food, they can go towards the bills. That's kind of how we think through it. But for you to be able to bring that to them, and now there's this connection that's made. Because our ultimate hope is that somebody would see their need for Jesus Christ and place their faith in Christ. But if we can help them out with a physical need, uh, we want to be able to do that. And so we want our church family involved in doing that. Uh, bear with me today. I got a little bit of a cold, and so I'm going to try to... A little foggy brain, so who knows when I come out of my mouth. Um, and so just bear with me. I'll uh, try to work through this without making too many mistakes. Also, I have to say it again this week, I confused some people two weeks ago when I was teaching. We're going through Acts, which is in the New Testament, about how the church started. And there's a guy in there whose name is... Saul, but also known as Paul, the Apostle Paul. So I have that on my mind, and I'm a very simple man. And so now we're going through David, who has King Saul. So anytime, and there's like 2,000 years difference. Saul was 2,000 years before Saul Paul. Okay, So unless I say Saul Paul, I'm talking about Saul, even if I say Paul. You with me? Everyone clear? Okay. Uh, this last service, I did it again, and so trying to work it. All right. Uh, so, so how does a, a person who has a, a heart for God, um, a person who wants to do life God's way, they they know God, they're in a relationship with God, they, 
They want to do life the way he wants them to do it. How do they face the ups and downs of our world? Because obviously, life is not easy. Life's a struggle. It's difficult. Uh, We have a lot of ups and downs. But specifically, and as we look at what's going on in David's life, specifically, how do we respond to people who lash out at us or people who um, push back on us for us trying to just do something good for them, trying to help them, trying to move them along. See, not much has changed in the last 3,000 years since uh, King David was on the throne, or this is actually before he gets on the throne. Uh, people are still very self-focused. People are still all about you know, lying and cheating to get ahead. And uh, oftentimes they lash out at people who are trying to help them. And, and so nothing's really changed. And so David who God says has a, he's a man after his own heart, uh, is a great example of what will happen to a person who wants to do life God's, God's way. He wants to, to respond to people the way God wants him to, re, to respond. Now we, we know, we'll find out as we go through this uh, series, that David is not perfect. Uh, he doesn't do everything right. In fact, there's a little section here we'll talk briefly about where he is not... Uh, leading his household well. Uh, But the thing is, um, through all of this, he's trying to do it God's way. He's trusting God and trying to do it his way, which, by the way, doesn't make his life easy. All right? Um, So go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's page 301 if you're using a Bible there in the the seats. Uh, And as you do, there's going to be a biblical truth that we see, that David sees, and that we're going to learn, and it's this. Here's the biblical truth. A person after God's own heart, so a person who, who knows God, loves God, and wants to do life God's way, of course, none of us are perfect, but we're going to be kind of pursuing that, will be blessed and protected by God and have success in accomplishing God's plans. Notice I didn't mention our plan. So God's not going to provide what we need for us to accomplish what we want to do in life. He's going to accomplish what He wants us to do in life, and those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we've willingly given him our life for him to do that. So we're not saying that you won't have difficult times in life. If you try to do that, you're going to have difficult times. Because that's what this life is all about. And Jesus had difficult times. Not saying you won't um, be disliked or hated by certain people. Again, you're going to have that. Jesus had that. And so we're going to have that. What we are saying is, and what the Bible does say, is that no matter what happens, God promises to bless, God promises to protect, and God promises to give us success in accomplishing what He wants us to accomplish for Him in our life. So just a quick review here. David, as we found out last week, Jason was up here, kind of looked like David. We had our giant, the nine foot nine, should have had a little few more pieces of clothing on, I think, than maybe what he had on. But we had his big old, if you weren't here last week, we had his big old nine foot nine picture of a guy who I guess was Goliath. Even though he had no armor, his shield was too small, and the spear was too small. But, you know, we're just trying to give you an idea of what nine foot nine looked like. And uh, so anyways, so David has just killed Goliath, and King Saul is going to bring David onto the staff full time. Now remember a couple weeks ago, when I said that nothing good could happen of having the future king, we learned about that in week one, 
David, the future king, in uh, the palace with the current king. Remember, things probably wouldn't go well. Well, as you guessed it, things are not going well, at least from man's perspective, potentially from uh, David's perspective. But again, we learn from week one, God, sovereignly powerful, infinitely powerful, he can work through and in the decisions that people make in order to continue to accomplish his plan. So everything's going to plan when it comes to God. Before I read, though, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get rolling. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, to look through uh, this, this passage this morning. Something that happened you know, 3,000 years ago, but has application for us today. Lord, I pray that as we go through this, and as we're thinking about what's going on in our lives, that we would not just sit here and kind of space out and um, think about the football games that are coming up and what's going to be for lunch, but Lord, we'd hear what you're saying and then we would think about the area of struggle that we're in and ask you to give us understanding how to apply it. And so Lord, we give this time to you as an act of worship. I ask that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding in Christ's name. Amen. So let's kick things off here. First Samuel 18. I'm going to read some verses, explain some verses, read some verses. So we won't read all, all the way through 65 chapters like... Uh, I'm just kidding, just two chapters. Now it came about when he, talking about David, had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved, himself, uh, loved him as himself. Now, that's the Hebrew word love there is Ahab or Ahab, and it, it means to have an affection of a close relationship. So these guys became close friends. Now, I just need to say this, because uh, in the LGBT community, um, there's, it's going around that David and Jonathan were actually uh, in a relationship, that they were lovers, or however you want to put it, that they were in a gay relationship, and that's not what's happening here. Uh, this is just the way the Hebrew expresses someone's deep devotion and friendship with somebody else. So, moving on. So Saul uh, took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. So, we're not sure if um, Jonathan knew that David was, was going to be the future king or not. We're not told. We don't even know if Saul knew that or not. Again, not told. Um, but he wants to, he, he knows that David is a, a great warrior. Um, and so he wants to, you know, just say, hey, I'm supporting you. I'm behind you. I'm going to be a friend to you and support you as you serve my father. So, uh, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So again, this is kind of a huge thing because uh, David is... Um, is that my agent calling again? I tell him, don't call, I'm busy. Jeez. Always want me for different movies and stuff. Anyways, so this is kind of an uh, interesting thing because Jonathan... Uh, humanly speaking, if things were to continue on, he would be the next king. And so him giving up his armor and this commitment to David is kind of a huge, huge deal for that. Anyways, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. It means he acted wisely, he made God-honoring decisions that God could bless, and Saul set him over the men of war. So he's doing a great job. By the way, David is probably still not old enough to technically be in the army, but since he killed Goliath, he's like, hey, let's bring him in. He's awesome. And so he puts him over his um, special forces group, his 
uh, personal security team, his best soldiers, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So Saul's brought in full-time, David's brought in full-time, and Jonathan and David become best friends. Um, he's made the, the head of the men of war, so he's got the most elite soldiers um, that are serving him and that are working with him. And he says that David has prospered. God prospers him in all that he does. Now, we're going to talk more about this later, but let me just say this. First of all, this description is said four times in this chapter. And any time an author repeats something in the Bible, he wants us to understand something important here. And so David was a guy who God prospered, who God allowed uh, to accomplish what God has called him to do. And so he, he was prospered. He, he, it was, in the, and again, in the um, Hebrew, it's sakal. And so he, he acted wisely. And then again, in this context, it means that he did what God was asking him to do. He was making God-honoring decisions. Now, if you remember last week, Jason did a great job working through chapter 17. And one of the things that Jason said was, uh, interesting to see how David was faithful to the small things, taking care of the sheep, bringing lunch to his brothers. And as he was faithful, prospered in doing the, the little things, God continued to give him greater and greater things to do. And so for us in our lives, it's the same way. God wants to be faithful in the small things, and he'll give us bigger things to do. And of course, the people then of Israel, including Saul's servants, supported David. Now, to set the table here, the author goes in these next verses, he's going to go back and kind of give us um, what happened as they were coming back from killing Saul. And here's how killing Goliath. I can't get these people's names straight. Um, I'm getting old. I just can't do it. So when David and Saul were coming back from killing Goliath. Okay, I got it. So it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. The tambourine, with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So you just kind of picture this, right? He's got his army with him, and he's leading, and everyone, all the ladies are coming out, and he's just like, this is awesome. Look at, they're all cheering me. They just love me. I am like the best things in sliced bread. Oh, yeah, this is good stuff. Then the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So that can't be good, right? That 10,000 is more than 1,000, right? Uh, so this isn't good. So then Saul became very angry. This, this word has this idea of it's, he's angry because of, of worry and jealousy and, and all the stuff that's going on in his heart. For this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David 10,000, but to me they have ascribed thousands. David's better than me. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Again, we're not sure if Saul... Uh, knows that David is anointed king. It kind of has this idea that he probably doesn't know. Um, but he's human, and he's a king, and he wants to keep his power. So he's always kind of making sure that nobody's coming after him. So Saul looked on David with suspicion from that day. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. Now, so what's, what's happening here before he raved in the midst of the house? So he's you got to kind of picture this. So they're coming back, and all the women are talking about how great David is, and that just sits and eats away at Saul. And so he's thinking about it all night, and he's angry about it, and it's not fair, 
And I've, I've led Israel longer than David's even be alive. I mean, I can, I should do this, and they should do this, and I can, and I, I, and he gets worked up, and he raved in the midst of his house while David was playing the harp with his hand, as usual, because that's what David did, if you remember from week one. And a spear was in Saul's hand. Now the word rave there, it means to prophesy. We'll talk more about this in a little bit, but it means to, to prophesy. It means that a, a spirit has overcome a person and they're acting out, speaking and actions and that kind of stuff. And so he's in the midst of this rave. Um, I know rave means something different today. I don't even know if they do raves anymore. Um, now, normally, a person who prophesies is under the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. And so what they say is God-honoring and God-directed and, and all that kind of stuff. It can sometimes mean in the Old Testament, as it does here, <clears throat> where a person is under the control of an evil spirit. We talked about this on the first week. It could be an evil spirit, like a demon, or it could be just the own, person's own spirit, their, their own inner being, who's all worked up. Whatever the case, Saul is um, out of control. All right, So he, he hurls the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence Twice. So Saul's so worked up, he can't even throw the spear accurately. And so David takes off, and he, he's, he's going to get out of the palace. So we find out that Saul is suspicious. He's, he's afraid of David, and because of that, he demotes David. He figures, let's get him out of the palace, and let's put him somewhere where maybe he'll get killed. Because I can't evidently do it, so I'm going to make sure that somebody does it. So he puts him over um, a, a unit of a thousand men. And so that means he's going to be closer to the battle lines. So David's there. Um, now David, to his credit, because he's a man after God's own heart, he's just been demoted. Anybody ever get demoted? Or anybody not get the job that you think you should have got? Well, David's kind of in that, David was in the palace. He was in charge. I mean, he was, he was the guy. And now all of a sudden, Saul demotes him down to just only having a thousand men under him. Before he had pretty much the whole military. But for David, because he's a man after God's own heart, he's faithful. He does what he's called to do. And God continues to bless him because he knows God's got it. Now the author tells us in these verses that uh, Saul dreaded David. He was extremely worried. David was far more popular. People were going to follow him. And that was causing him to be frustrated and irritated. But he's got to somehow <clears throat> get David killed. And this, this didn't work by putting him over a thousand men. So he goes, now I know it. And here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to enlist my daughters. So if you remember from last week, um, Saul said, if, hey, if you kill Goliath, whoever does that, I'm going to, amongst other things, I'm going to give you my daughter. And so David killed Goliath, but evidently hasn't gotten uh, Saul's daughter yet, whose name is Merib. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give Merib to David. So he calls David in. He says, hey, listen, you killed Goliath, so here's my daughter. Uh, her name is Merib, if you don't know, but she's going to be your wife. That's how, kind of how they did things back then. And he says, here's, here's what I ask of you. I know you can't give me a dowry. 
I know you can't give me a bunch of money. I know you can't give me a bunch of animals and all that kind of stuff like they used to do back in the day. So here's what I'm asking you. As you're heading up your unit, your thousand-man unit, I want you to personally participate in the battles. You know, as a, thousand, as a leader of a thousand men, you're probably sitting back in headquarters, right, and you're barking out orders, guys going out telling the guys what to do. But he says, hey, all I ask of you is that you continue to fight the Lord's battles, as he puts it, and, to, and he means he wants to get him to get personally involved in the battles because, of course, he wants him to die. <clears throat> David's like, hey, I'm honored. Uh, I appreciate you offering to do this, but I'm not worthy to be part of the, the royal family. And so I would rather not, but thanks anyways, appreciate it. Merib gets given to another guy. So, Saul's like, now what do I do? Well, then Saul hears through the grapevine that his other daughter, Michael or Michael, she, she loves David. And so he's like, okay, this is going to work this time. So he calls David in and says, hey, listen, I know you didn't want to marry Merib, but I, really, I want you to be my son-in-law. I, I want you to, to marry my daughter, Michael. And, and, if, uh, and here's all I ask of you. I want you to go and kill 200 Philistines. And then I want you to bring back proof. Now, I am not going to tell you what the proof is. Uh, if you want to know what the proof is, you can read about it. We're in mixed company, and so I'm not going to. And if you don't know, you, and if you look down right now and start reading, I know what you're doing because you're trying to read ahead. What was it? So David, the warrior that he is, goes out and kills 200 Philistines, brings back proof that he was, you know, he's faithful to that, that he got that taken care of. Now, um, how do you think Saul might have responded to that? We'll find out. So Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, for a wife. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Things are getting worse. David's trying to help. Things are getting worse. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle. And it happened as they, often as they went out that David behaved himself more wisely, which that word prospered again, than all the servants of Saul. So his name was highly esteemed. So he, he goes out, and, and unfortunately, like the coyote all right, that's in the Roadrunner cartoons, nothing is working out. Everything backfires on Saul. So Saul gets more direct, and going into... Chapter 19, he pulls his servants in, and he pulls Jonathan in, and he says, I want you to go find David. I want you guys to kill him. We're done. We're going to take care of David. So, what does Jonathan do? Jonathan is David's good friend. They're best friends. So Jonathan goes tells David, hey, listen, my dad's looking to kill you, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take my dad, and we're going to go for a walk out in the field, and I want you to hide out there. And, and I'm going to talk to my dad and see if I can get him to back down. So he tells, he reminds Saul about all the good things that David had been doing and all the different things and how wonderful he is and that kind of stuff. And so Saul, and now if, again, if you don't read into this a little bit, you're going to think like Saul's like, oh yeah, you're right. No, Saul's scheming. He's always scheming. He's got to get rid of David. So what's he do? He brings David back to the, oh yeah, I won't kill David. David can come back to the palace. He can have his old job back. Now, if this was a movie, 
and you all and I were sitting down watching and eating popcorn, at this point we'd be going, no, 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 that's the wrong thing to do. David, don't do it. Right? I mean, that's what we would think anyways, right? Let's see if we're right. When there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter. So they uh, fled before him. So how do you think that, uh, Saul takes the news? Same way as always. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul's. He was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. Again, he's holding something that's going to kill David. And David was playing the harp with his hand. He held something to help Saul. You know, it's kind of interesting situation. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence. So he stuck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So he, he takes off, and he, um, he heads over to his house. That's what we'll find out next. So he takes off, he heads home. Again, Saul's all worked up, and he's got the same issue because he keeps thinking the wrong things. And so he sends agents to David's house. He said, I want you to get him, and I want you to, to bring him back. When he gets there, when they get there, um, David's already been there. Make up, Michael said, hey, listen, David, you're, they're going to come kill you. You take off. So she lowers him down the window. He takes off. We'll find out what he does next. But he takes off, and so they show up. She's like, okay, well, I've got to figure out some way to help David out here. So she takes the household idol. And this is where I was talking about before, where evidently David wasn't doing everything right in his life. He, he was allowing his wife to have a false god that she worshipped, and false gods are worth, you know, they're worthless, they're not worth anything, except maybe, big enough, put it in a bed, put some goat hair on it, and make it look like David's sleeping. So the agents show up, they're like, hey, we're here for David. She's like, oh, you know, David's sick, he got a tummy ache. And he's, just, I don't know, she probably didn't say that, but he, he's sleeping. So just, just let him let him be. So they go back to Saul. Saul's like, no, no, no. You get him. You bring him back in his bed if you have to. So I'm lost in my notes. So, oh, while all that's going on, there it is. I got lost in my story. I was all excited. So when uh, Saul hears this, uh, finds out that he's taken off, he confronts Michael, Michael says, well, I did that because David said if I didn't, he was going to kill me. So she, she lies about it. While all that's going on, David, he escapes to Samuel. If you remember Samuel from week one, he was the prophet, and the guy who kind of got all this stuff rolling. So he goes to Samuel, who's in Ramah. Uh, it's a region there in, in Israel. And then things get a little, a little strange here. We're not going to read it. I'll summarize it pretty quickly. David gets to Ramah. He finds Samuel. Samuel and him go to a town called Naoth. Naoth is a place where they have a school for prophets. So like I went to Bible school to become a pastor. Well, this is kind of like a Bible school for prophets. So these are guys who are being trained to speak for God, to teach for God, to be God's men in, in Israel. So as, when they get there, they, um, they start having kind of like a worship service. And so Samuel's leading it, and these prophets, they're, they're singing and playing instruments, and they're talking about who God is, and I'm sure people are around as well, and it's kind of this big old worship service. A unit that, got, that uh, Saul sends out that way to get David, they show up. So they're all ready to grab David, take him back, and kill him. Well, they start prophesying. They become like the prophets. They start 
praising God and worshiping God and talking about how great God is. And, and so Saul's sitting back at the palace like, where, where are the guys at? So he sends another group. And the same thing happens to him. And so Saul, this is crazy. So he sends a third group. Same thing happens to them. So now you've got these three groups of Saul's agents. They're all praising and worshiping God together with these prophets. Sounds crazy, isn't it? So it's kind of like, this is a weird way to handle this whole situation. So Saul's like, well, you know, I've got to do it myself, I guess. So then Saul shows up. And what do you think happens? Saul starts prophesying like everybody else. He's singing and praising God and, and all kinds of He goes a little bit further. It says that he actually stripped down to his tunic. The word is naked, but he didn't get, you know, stark naked. It just means he kind of got down to his skivvies, which would be a tunic back then, and which is kind of a long thing about that long. And then it says that he laid down and couldn't move all day and all night. Again, seems kind of weird. And before we get to the lessons of life, let me just kind of explain a little bit what's going on here. Because again, this is, it's weird to us. This is like 21st century. What are you talking about, Harold? So God doesn't give us the explanation of why he did this. He doesn't give us all that. And so we've kind of got to look at it and read it and ask God for wisdom to understand, you know, okay, what, what's going on? So I've done some reading on it and some other scholars who are smarter than me and just my own thoughts. First of all, the prophesying that was going on was Holy Spirit inspired. Okay, so these guys are under the control of God the Holy Spirit. So these guys are praising God and worshiping God. Those who came also were under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went. You know, he didn't indwell people like he does today after Jesus Christ. And so... Um, they all started doing the same thing. Now, why would God do that? And again, I'm not saying that this is thus saved the Lord. I'm just kind of throwing out a couple good, I think, good reasons why. First one is this. God is showing to, to everybody, but specifically these agents from Saul and Saul himself, that he is a merciful God. Because God could have protected David by killing them, but he doesn't. He gives them the opportunity as they're praising him to repent, to get their lives in order, to, to go ahead and follow after God like Saul once did. And then the other thing is, I think that he's doing it in order to um, really show everybody that God is supernaturally, personally and supernaturally protecting David. This isn't just like David had a several guys around him who could defend him and so okay maybe God you know maybe David or maybe some other guys no this is God personally interacting and saying hey listen I've got David covered again it seems strange but I think it's just interesting it's kind of funny even that, that God would actually protect him that way it's also interesting if you think all the way back you know all the way to the future the Bible tells us that that all people are going to be saying God, praising God and worshiping God in the sense that some are going to do it voluntarily. Others will bow their knee before God, not voluntarily. Um, so it's just kind of interesting as you think to the future. Well, with Saul recovering from his surprise worship service that he got himself involved in, David is able to take off again to escape, and you have to come back next week to find out what happens there. 
But for today, we want to look at these takeaways, our, our lessons for life, as I'm calling them. Uh, and again, I, I'm just challenging you because there's been a lot of stuff. I'm saying a lot of things. But what I would encourage you to do is the thing that you were thinking about at the beginning of the message where I was saying, hey, you know, doing life God's way is difficult. If you can get back to that and say, okay, how do these things apply? And then take these home this week and work through those and begin to apply these things. Okay? So here's the first one. Doing life God's way will cause some to support you and others to oppose you. Right? I think you just need to get a hand on is if, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the life God's called you to, you're going to have issues because everybody has issues whether you're a believer or not. And just as a believer, you're going to have issues because you're trying to do life God's way. So understand, don't be so naive. Don't freak out when people start going, hey, you're following, you're following Jesus, or oh, you're trying to do marriage the right way, or you're trying to do family the right way, or you're trying to do marriage, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do, we all kind of all start freaking out. So-and-so just, they were laughing at me, or so-and-so doesn't want me around anymore. Hey, listen, they put Jesus on the cross. And so we're going to have people who support us. We're going to have people who oppose us. David had those who supported him. He also had those who opposed him. You have people in your life who support you. God's given us what we call the church. And I, I know I'm harping on this a lot, but I feel like I have to harp on this. Because people who say they place their faith in Jesus Christ, they become part of God's family, who then don't, connect with their church family, there's something wrong there. And there's a danger there. there. There's a disconnect, first of all, with what God's commanded us to do. But then there's also this lack of support in their life. And it's so easy to move away from what God calls. It's so easy to go and start acting like Saul and thinking the way that we think and experiencing life the way we think we should experience life. And we see what happens in Saul's life and we know what happens in our lives when we think that way and when we respond that way. And so understand that the church family, God put that together to support you and to support me to do it God's way. But most of all, like David, God will be protecting us. God knows what's going on. God's allowing the things going on. God's allowing your family to push back, your friends to push back. He's allowing that, and it's good because God wants to use that. So, lesson for life number two, no matter how bad life gets, trust God and keep doing life God's way. I know that I say that all the time, but that's really the only way forward. David had a promise from God. David heard from God that he was going to be the next king. Nobody could keep that from happening. Not even Saul. And so, David lived by that. David understood that. He was just going to continue to be faithful to whatever it is he had to do until God saw fit to put him on the throne. So what promise has God given you? What promise from God's word in your situation or my situation, whatever it is that we're going through, what has he given us in his word? Because that's where we'll find it. And if we're not in his word, we're not going to find the promises. And we, so we need to be in his word. So third, one of those promises is that a person with a heart after God's own heart will prosper. God will make sure that they will prosper. They will accomplish what he calls them to do. Now, this person has to trust God, and they're going to demonstrate that 
by doing it God's way. And when we say prosper, this is where I'm talking about before, I'm going to talk a little about this real quickly uh, before we close. When the Bible uses the word prosper, it's not what some teachers are teaching nowadays, some pastors are teaching nowadays, that you obey God, He's going to give you money. That's not what this word means. We, we read into it what we think prosper means, but that's not what the Hebrew means. The Hebrew means success in accomplishing God's plan. It's having that wisdom and discernment from God. Let me give you a couple more verses. This is out of Deuteronomy 29.9. So keep, this is Moses quoting God to Israel, so keep the words of this covenant to do them. In other words, obey God that you may prosper, you may act wisely and make God-honoring decisions that He can bless in all that you do. And then Joshua, quoting God, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. To meditate means to think on something over and over and over and over. Saul meditated on how much he hated David. How, how, sus, how suspicious he was of David, how, how David could not have actually been doing things out of his own good heart, that this was something he was, he was coming, and he thought about it, 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 and pretty soon he was all worked up. We call them anxiety attacks. And so we're, those who have a heart for God, need to be meditating on God's word, what God says, the truth that God has for us. Why do we do that? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. In other words, obey God. For then you will make your way prosperous. Different words, salah, means to have strong, successful action. You will, you will be confidently right in, in what you're doing and have success. And then you will have success. That's the same word as to act wisely. David wrote a lot or had a lot of psalms written. The book of Psalms. And if you read through there, Psalm 119, he says it over and over and over and over and over again, how he thinks about who God is, what God did, what God promises. And, and he, he just constantly reminds himself. He loves God's Word. He delights in God's Word. He's constantly talking about filling his mind and his heart with what God says. He wasn't like Saul. Saul filled his mind with what he thought. David filled his mind with what God thought. And we need to be doing the same. And in that, we'll be blessed, protected, and we'll experience success as God does his work in and through us to impact people for him. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this morning. I thank you again for the clarity of your word and, and being able to see this play out in David's life. Father, I pray for each person here that we would not just hear this, go off, have lunch, watch some football games and forget it. But Lord, that we go from here, have lunch, watch some football games, and then just spend time working through this and understanding this this week. And that we would give over these situations and these fears that we have to you and allow you to do your work, to watch you protect us, watch you work through us. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory in that, in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Great to see you. Have a great rest of the day.